Gracious Words. Gracious Words is taken from the weekly women's Bible study taught by Cheryl Broderson at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California. We behold your glory, God, in the face of Christ. It shows us who you are, revealing who you are. When you're in the midst of a trial, the tendency is to want to give in and give up. But did you know that your trials serve a greater purpose in the will of God? Join us now as we complete our journey in Acts chapter 8 with Cheryl Broderson. Part two of Cheryl's message, Unintimidated. So there's Philip, and he's saying to them, here's your Messiah. Jesus is your Messiah. Now, Samaria was only 30 to 40 miles away from Jerusalem. These Samaritans had no doubt heard about the suffering of Jesus. They had been told, and now they're told, this suffering that Jesus went through had purpose. He died for your sins. He is the sacrifice that God ordained to forgive you of your sins. And he's risen from the dead. And he's alive. And we're told that the multitudes heeded the things that Philip spoke with one accord. Can you imagine that? It was like a mass altar call. Everybody received it. I remember doing um, an altar call I was asked to at this one speaking engagement I had. And I gave an altar call, and oh my goodness, this whole section got up and came forward. It was like 25 young girls came forward. I was ecstatic. I went down, and I wanted to pray with every girl myself to accept Jesus Christ. And afterwards, I was talking to those who had asked me to speak, my hostesses. And I said, oh my goodness, I've never had that much success at an altar call before. And they said, well, that was the U-turn for Christ girls. They come to all our sessions and give their life to the Lord every single time. (laughs) It's all right. It increased my faith. But we're told that they heard what he said. And that word heard means to receive or they took it in. And they saw what the Lord was doing through him. And Philip was undaunted. Not only was he undaunted by these foreigners, these Samaritans that had once been the enemies of the Jews, the ones that John had said, hey, should we call down fire and just destroy them? Let's just get rid of the Samaritans and have more land for Israel. These very people are the ones that Philip was called to, and he's undaunted. He's undaunted by unclean spirits, by these demonic people coming forward. He's undaunted. He casts them out. He's undaunted by people that are paralyzed. He calls on the name of Jesus, and they're healed. He's undaunted by the lame. He prays for them, and they begin to walk, and we're told that there was great joy in the city. And then men and women are baptized in the name of Jesus. They are fully identifying with Jesus. And it causes such a stir that John and Peter hear about it back in Jerusalem. And they're thinking, what is going on in Samaria? Now, if, you're, if there's persecution, you don't want them to hear about what's going on. He's undaunted. 
by even the attention that the Lord is drawing to Samaria. Peter and John, they go to Samaria. Now, personally, I think they went there to make sure that everything was right, that the Samaritans were truly believing. But it's interesting because this is Peter. This is John. This is John who wanted to call down the fire on the Samaritans. This is Peter who wasn't sure about Gentiles ever being saved. And God is beginning to work on their hearts and expand them. And they come to Samaria and they cannot deny that God is truly working among these people. And that they desire to really see these people established in the faith. Now the Samaritans have received the word of God. They have believed the word of God. They've even been baptized into the name of Jesus Christ. But the apostles say, Have you received the Holy Spirit? It's a secondary work. There is more. The first is receiving Jesus. In John chapter 20, we're told that Jesus breathed on the disciples and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. That's the first relationship when we bring Jesus into our lives and hearts. But there's a second work, which is the anointing of the Holy Spirit that Jesus talks about in Acts chapter 1, that the Holy Spirit will come upon you. This word epi, to come upon you, and that's the second work of the Holy Spirit. That's the work that emboldens you to be a witness for Jesus Christ. Well, remember that Jesus said, wait in Jerusalem until you receive the promise of the Father, which is the anointing of the Holy Spirit. You see, before a priest could serve in the office of priest, he had to be anointed for that office. And he wanted to do it under the power and the direction of the Lord. We receive Jesus Christ, but when we want to step into the call of God, we need that anointing of the Spirit. We need the empowering of the Spirit. Jesus told the disciples, tarry in Jerusalem. Now, Peter and John have gone up to Samaria and they said, have you received the Spirit? It's not for the elite. It is not just for the apostles. It's for everybody. Whatever the call on your life, you need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to be a witness. My um, son, Char, when he was four years old, we were with this woman and she was kind of acting pretty grumpy. And he went up and he put his hand on, on her back. And she looked at him and she's like, yes? And he goes, sometimes I have bad days too. <laughs> and this woman said, you, you think I'm having a bad day? He goes, yes, but it's all right. I'm here and so is Jesus. <laughs> and she said, I think I need prayer. And he goes, yes, you do. <laughs> you know? We need the anointing of the Holy Spirit. As Paul prayed for the Colossians, that they would be fruitful in every good work. I want to bear fruit in everything I do. I need that boldness. I need that power of the Holy Spirit. And so did these Samaritans. And so we're told that they laid hands on them and they prayed for them. Because the Holy Spirit had not yet fallen upon them. They were not going to leave these believers without the baptism or the work of the Holy Spirit. And we're told that the Samaritans received the Spirit. And Simon, who was a sorcerer, saw the power going out through Peter and John as they prayed for these people and they received. Now Simon had lived in Samaria and he had been 
a very notable person in Samaria. Some of the people thought he was a god. He was probably like a witch doctor in that community, probably casting spells and doing incantations, tricks, and he amazed these people with his powers. But he had received the word of God. He had been baptized. He believed in Jesus. But I don't think he was fully there yet. You know, sometimes people who accept the Lord, they come into Jesus and they still have some of their worldly ways. And the Lord's got to get rid of all of that, doesn't he? That's what sanctification is all about. I remember sitting on that first row and hearing this woman and man talking really loudly you know, during the service. And I turned around just kind of like to see who they were. And this woman was wearing like a vest, and she was very endowed. And she was kind of popping out of the vest. And the guy looked like Burt Reynolds. And I looked at them and I said, you're new here. Welcome. You know, two years later, I met this woman again. And she was so modest the second time. And the Lord had done these stupendous things in her life, even calling her to the mission field. And she said, do you remember me? I said, as a matter of fact, I do. (laughs) Some people just make those impressions on you that you'll never forget. And she said, I want to thank you for smiling at me and loving me. She said, because only now in retrospect, I think, oh my goodness, the first time I met Cheryl, she saw a little too much of me. But God had done such a work, you know, but sometimes those things are slow to leave. And it's this dawning awareness. How much better to have the Holy Spirit sanctifying you than Cheryl Broderson? But, you know, he wasn't quite there because he had some things that he had held on to. And so he sought to buy this power with money. He still wanted to be notable. He wanted to be important. And he didn't like the decreasing. Philip was now being esteemed in that Samaritan society. And he was a Jew. And Simon, who had had the popularity in this village, he was now nothing. He was in the decrease mode. And he's thinking, wow, if I have that, I'll be important again. You know, we always have to be careful of when our identity becomes in anything other than Jesus Christ. And, and he was saying, hey, I can find my identity because his identity had been and being notable, being popular, these spells, this power. And Peter, Peter looks right at Simon's heart and he identifies the problem. He said, I sense that you are poisoned by bitterness. Or another translation is poisoned by jealousy and bound by iniquity. In other words, Simon, you're not completely loosed from your sins and these things that are holding you. This is jealousy. You've got an issue and it needs to be dealt with. Because you're not going to grow. And you're not going to have that right understanding as long as these things still have a grip in your life. I was reading the other day in Proverbs 27.4. And it says, rage is terrible and wrath is cruel, but who can stand before jealousy? I think as women, we are more prone to jealousy because of our insecurities. We do. We get jealous. That's not the way the Lord wants us to be. He wants us to be so secure in him, knowing that this corruption is going to put on incorruption. This mortal will put on immortality. He wants us to be so his vessel that we're ministering love and validation to each other. Paul says about the other disciples, they saw Jesus in me and they glorified the Lord. 
We are to go around looking for Jesus in each other. We need to see the gifts of God in others' lives and say, that's a gift from Jesus. And it is a good, good gift. And I'm so glad he gave it to you. Not jealousy. That's a work of the flesh. That's when we're still mindful of us. And as long as we're mindful of ourselves, Satan's got an inroad. And that's what he had in Simon. He had this inroad because of this jealousy. Peter would later warn believers in 1 Peter 5, 2. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by constraint, by willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. And that's what he said. This cannot be bought. The power of God cannot be bought. It must be received. And it only is received as we are emptied out, as we're willing to empty ourselves out and say, not I, but Christ in me, my hope of glory. Peter told Simon he needed to repent and to pray for forgiveness for the corruption in his heart. And I love Simon's response. Pray that none of these things happen to me. I think he's saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Help. What a wonderful prayer. Help me. You know, I think too, often we're often daunted by the problems in people. They come to us and you're like, oh my goodness, there's a problem. I think the disciples looking out on the multitude, they're seeing hunger and deficits and this is much too much for us. And Jesus is seeing sheep who need a shepherd. And I believe that we need the heart of Jesus not to be daunted when people get it wrong, but to be able to gently say, this is the issue. Let's move from wrong to right. And that's what Simon was saying. Help me with these things. We too easily write people off, don't we? And God wants to write them in to the book of life. So here's this incredible revival that is going on in full swing. Philip gets to work next to Peter and John. Oh my goodness, what a trio. And all of a sudden, John and Peter say, Philip, carry on. Good work. They head back for Jerusalem. And on their way, they're like, hey, God is working among the Samaritans. And they stop in different Samaritan villages and they share Jesus. And so now Philip's in charge of this great movement. And an angel of the Lord comes to him and says, go to the road that leads from Gaza to Jerusalem. And lest you get it wrong, Luke tells us this is desert. So you're saying, God called Philip from this thriving multitude of people that's hungry, wants as much of Jesus as possible, to go to the desert where nobody is. This vacated road. But Philip has learned to be open to Jesus Christ. He's learned that God has a plan. So Philip goes to this desert road, and there he sees this chariot off to the side of the road. Isn't that incredible? It's like seeing a stalled car off to the side of the road. But this is a chariot. And it's an impressive chariot. We're dealing with one of the dignitaries from the court of Candace in Ethiopia. He's the treasurer. He's over all her funds. And all the riches of Ethiopia are under this man's discretion and control. And he's come to Jerusalem to worship. He's got a hunger for God. But we're told he's a eunuch, which means that he was not even allowed into the court of the temple because he's a eunuch. 
And we read in Leviticus, nobody who is maimed or self-maimed is allowed into the court of the Lord. So he's been rejected, but he's hungry. And the Lord tells Philip, draw near to that chariot. Now, you and I would probably be somewhat intimidated by that. It's a chariot. It's got a driver. It's got a notable person, and I am not notable. I think I told you before, I'm sitting at this really impressive dinner in Washington, D.C. Bruce Willis is right behind me. Muhammad Ali is speaking. And I'm sitting at this table with important people, and I'm wearing a borrowed St. John knit suit. And everything I've got is borrowed, except for my shoes. They're my own, and they're killing my feet. And these people with their little autograph books are like, who are you? Because I'm at the important table. I'm like, I'm nobody. I'm married to this guy. Who is he? He's the one that planned and did the wedding of the girl who coordinated this event. Where is she? Behind the scenes. And they're like, oh, okay. (laughs) And they got in line for Bruce Willis, you know? And, And we can be so intimidated by the somebodies, right? Not realizing that the somebodies need Jesus as much as we need Jesus. You know, but here's this chariot that's, that's stopped at the side of this deserted road. And the Spirit of the Lord says to Philip, go join yourself with that chariot. Go up to that chariot. Philip goes up to that chariot. And as he gets closer, he hears the man reading from the scroll of Isaiah. Talk about a divine setup. God has gone before and he's reading it. And Philip says to him, do you understand what you're reading? And the Ethiopian says, no, and how can I? Unless somebody explains it to me. And he invites Philip up into the chariot to explain it to him. And we're told that Philip starts at Isaiah 53. This passage about the suffering of Christ and what Jesus accomplished through the cross and preaches Jesus to this eunuch. This eunuch is so receptive that he sees some water off to the side of the road and he says, what prevents me from being baptized right now? And Philip says, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And the man says, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Philip takes him down into the water, this dignitary. He baptizes him. And as soon as he's baptized, the Spirit of the Lord carries Philip away. Philip never sees this Ethiopian again until he gets to heaven. And the Ethiopian goes back to Ethiopia sharing Jesus Christ and rejoicing over his salvation. We find Philip then in Azotus, which is near the south coast of Israel. And he makes his way up to Caesarea, preaching Jesus. We find him actually in Acts 21, settled in Caesarea with four daughters who prophesy. You'll meet him again. You'll see Philip, but when we see him again, he's all grewed up. And he's got daughters that prophesy. But think about Philip. Because he was open to believe that God was greater than the circumstances, greater than the persecution, he was available by God to be used to bring outsiders inside the fold of God. He was available to bring Samaritans in, to bring Ethiopians in, to bring a eunuch 
in to the fold of God. His openness to say, Lord, use me in this, in this trial. God, you have a plan. Use me. Led him to Samaria. Led him to the Gaza road. Led him to a chariot. Led him to Azotus. Led him to Caesarea. His realization that God was in absolute control opened him up to obedience and boldness. We are not to be overwhelmed by our trials. God desires to see, for us to see him sovereign, even in the toughest times. He wants us to say, Lord, use me in this. These trials have not come, not been allowed by God to defeat us, but to glorify his name through us, to give us a testimony. We are to attune our ears to his leading. Lord, in this place, what do you have for me? What circumstances have you been allowing to thwart your spiritual progress? You know, some people, when trials come, they're upset with God for letting this one get through. Like, Lord, why? And they spend so much time, why? And not asking, what do you want to do? But why did you allow this? Because they don't understand that God has a plan. God always has a plan. And instead of capitulating to the trial, we are to attune our ears to how God wants to use us in this trial to bring about his glory. He wants us to be part of his plan. Rather than resigning to the trial, we are to resign the trial to God. Put the trial under God's keeping. Put the trial on God's altar for him to do what he wants to do. And we are to ask for his leading and then attune our ears to his voice that we might hear him. We are to be filled with the Holy Spirit that we might be empowered by him to do whatever he calls us to do in this trial. And then I want to say this. We are to have expectation for God to work. I believe as a body of women, we have lost our sense of expectation. That's what happens. We see a trial and we've forgotten that God works through these things for glory, for victory. We've lost our expectation. We need to get our expectation back on what God is going to do. We need to pray with expectation of what God will do. That's why James could say, when trials come your way, jump for joy. That's my paraphrase. Why? Because God's going to do something. And this is his opportunity. Elizabeth Elliot wrote this. Only in acceptance lies peace. Not in resignation, nor in busyness. Resignation is surrender to fate. Acceptance is surrender to God. Resignation lies down quietly in an empty universe. Acceptance rises up to meet the God who fills that universe with purpose and destiny. Resignation says, I can't. Acceptance says, God can. Resignation says, it's all over for me. Acceptance asks, now that I am here, what's next, Lord? Resignation says, what a waste. 
Acceptance asks, in what redemptive way will you use this mess, Lord? God has a plan. God always has a plan. And it's up to us to put ourselves smack dab in the middle of God's plan. He has allowed these circumstances, trials, and hardships for greater glory, for greater purposes. We need to have the expectation again, filling our hearts, that God is about to work and do great things. Rather than resigning to the trial, we are to resign the trial to God. God desires that we see Him sovereign even in the toughest times. As you face your trial today, walk in expectation of the great things that God is going to do through your circumstances. As you keep your eyes on Jesus and His leading, you will face life unintimidated. We hope you have been blessed by today's Bible study with Cheryl Broderson. If you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply visit our website at graciouswords.com or call 1-800-733-6443 and refer to it by name, which is Unintimidated. Coming up next time on the Gracious Words program, Cheryl will begin her teaching in Acts chapter 9 with her message entitled, Unexpected Expectations. This program is sponsored by Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.